good afternoon, everybody. It's another beautiful day here aboard the Great Ship, the Space Show Show. I am your host, uh, Lieutenant Commander Rebecca Frost, joined by Admiral Carrie Jackson and Commander Robert Neal. Hello, fellas. How are Hi. we doing today? All Ooh. right. Ready to talk <laughs> some Star Trek. So excited to talk about Star Trek. Before we dive, dive on in into Star Trek, um, mm -hmm. I do want to take a quick second and just say thank you to everybody who... Uh, listens to the show and has really nice things to say about the show. Uh, recently, y'all have been coming out of the woodwork to let me know that you <laughs> listen to the show and you really like the show. And I am like blindsided every time. Um, I can count on less than four fingers how many negative comments I've received about the show. And we're on episode like 34. Oh. Uh, so just thank you guys, uh, making this all worth it. Well, see, I knew our numbers had pop right up as soon as we finish the animated series. I knew <laughs> it would just jump right up. Well, and what the feedback I've been getting is there are so many people who are like so happy to be listening along because they don't necessarily want to rewatch the shows. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but oh. they enjoy following along with us on our journey. I'm, I'm now <laughs> caught in one of my own devices cuz on the show, on the radio show on the radio show, I have this woman who is a super fan of Real Housewives of Salt Lake, and our slug line is, she watches so that we don't have to. And now here I am. I'm caught in my own trap. Watching so that you don't have to. But I also, I'm very much like, please watch the original series. I'm such a sucker for the original series. Um, and I just oh, and, and real quick, speak. Speaking of the original series, uh, just uh, let's all raise a glass to William O'Connell. Uh, he was the uh, he was the Andorian that stabbed Kirk in the original series. Uh, he died today. He was ninety four, and he was in a lot of stuff. He was he was in shows like you wouldn't believe: Lucy Show, Monsters, Batman, Bonanza, Outer Limits, My Three Sons, Dennis the Menace, Twilight Zone, Peter Gunn. He was a in a lot of stuff, but Journey to Babel. Wow was the episode that he was in where he was a Thelive, the duplicitous Orion agent disguised as an Andorian ambassador. Mm -hmm. What is there. that? The third, is that the third season? Uh, season two. Season two. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. So um, there you go. Oh, the cats are at it again. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Back to Star Trek again. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody. Please, if you just leave a nice comment or you know drop me a nice message i really love to hear you know your experience with star trek and the space show, show and um yeah that's all. every time i see a star trek fan out in the wild i just want to be like can we can we talk please please can we talk <laughs> um i never do uh especially that girl at the grocery store who asked if i like star trek because i was wearing my rito's sweatshirt and i should have should have spread the good word anyway uh did, did you yell at her and say no i don't know what you're no, talking about don't look at me uh no this I used was... to say doritos and the do <laughs> fell off i'm just a fan of doritos uh <laughs> no i was wearing my rito sweatshirt and she was like are you a star trek fan and i was like yes and she said lower decks and i just gave her a thumbs up because i was too scared to be like i do a i do a whole podcast about this. <laughs> um, and then somebody on Twitter was like, you're not selling an MLM, like you should talk about it. And I'm like, yeah, I guess. I mean, this is, your, this is your, it's this... like saying to a, a, a you know, a evangelical, uh, you know, could you tell me about Jesus? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you should jump right in. Yeah, yeah, if only I had more opportunities to do it. Um, like today, <laughs> when we are going to talk about these season two episodes of The Next Generation, The Schizoid Man, Unnatural Selection, A Matter of Honor, The Measure of a Man, and The Dauphine. We've got some pretty heavy data episodes uh, in this bunch. That's what I began to notice with season two, is that uh, it, it, it goes data heavy. It's like they realize data and war for the two of the more interesting characters on the show, so let's do some things. And what, that's so funny because Worf is, I think, one of the more interesting characters. And we get a whole episode about Klingon culture in this batch of episodes. Barely a Worf to be seen, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> which kind of sucks. Uh, so the first episode, the schizoid man, the dying antisocial scientist unintentionally comes upon the perfect vessel in which to preserve his intellect and arrogant personality. Uh, this is a classic original series episode. This mm -hmm. um, reminded me so much of some of the original series episodes. Um, 
could I name them? No, but <laughs> you know the ones. <laughs> you know the ones. You know the, you know ones. the ones with the vibes, right? People mm -hmm. want to live forever, and there's a young, hot assistant who is there to also assist. So the Enterprise responds to a request for medical assistance from Dr. Ira Graves, considered by many to be the greatest living mind in the universe on molecular cybernetics, and he lives isolated on his home planet of Graves World. <laughs> Graves World. Yeah. <laughs> Graves World. Robot Graves time. World. Excellent. <laughs> Steal your body. Excellent. Cybernetics. Excellent. <laughs> so uh, Graves himself didn't request assistance, but his hot assistant, Corrine, uh, she requested the Enterprise come and help. He Graves is a crotchety old man who doesn't really like people, but he is now in the terminal stage of an illness, Darnay's disease. Um, meanwhile, Data feeling a little insecure. Data's in this episode trying out some facial hair. And uh... <laughs> he, he, he just stole his beard from Riker. That's the Riker beard. He grows Come a beard on. so that he can appear more mature and intellectual. I thought we uh... all had beards this season. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just trying to fit in. Uh, meanwhile, while they are approaching Graves' world, the Enterprise receives a distress signal from another ship, the USS Constantinople, which is ferrying settlers. Wesley thinks there are about 2,012 souls on board. Riker suggests dropping a team on Grave World and then assisting the ferry ship. Pulaski wants to be on the ship to assist Constantinople, so Picard asks her to pick a replacement for Graves' world. Uh, so she selects Dr. Salar to lead the way to help Ira. Sailor goes with Worf, Data, and Deanna. Sailor is a Vulcan, yes. and Ira is fond of beautiful women, obviously, yeah. and hits uh -oh. on both Deanna and Sailor. Uh, <laughs> I love it when old men just do that, you know? Uh, <laughs> it's leisure suit with uh, Ira. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you. Uh, meanwhile, the Enterprise has done what it needs to do in Constantinople and have, heads back to Graves' world. Um, Graves has taught Data's cre creator, Dr. Ninian Soong. Um, Dr. Graves taught him everything he knows, and he fancies himself as Data's grandfather, and even tells Data to call him Grandpa. <laughs> do not lie. Uh, <laughs> and Dr. Salar gives Graves no more than a week to live. Uh, Dr. Graves feels pity for Data that he has no feelings and will hence never know any kind of emotion. Graves says that he's learned to download his knowledge and intellect into a computer, and Data tells Graves that he has an off switch, which renders him dead for all intents and purposes. Knowing his end is near, Graves transfers all of his knowledge and intellect into Data, Ira dies, and the Enterprise leaves Graves' world with Kareen with the aim to leave her at the nearest starbase. Uh, but of course, our friend Data, <laughs> Acton... <laughs> acting weird now um and becoming a cause of concern to everybody he's hitting on kareen he's acting emotionally with a very long and poetic speech as iris eulogy um he whistles <laughs> oh the eulogy was great yes. to know him was to love him <laughs> and to love him was to know him very tom sawyer to <laughs> crash your own your own funeral you know yeah um <laughs> He, uh, let's see, hitting on women, whistling, chasing women. He, Ira had a thing for young women, but of course, what old man doesn't? And Data reacts angrily when Picard is friendly towards Kareen, acting a little jealous. He calls Picard an old man of limited intellect. And Deanna senses an intense burning jealousy, which is a human emotion. And she sensed it was coming from Data. Mm -hmm. That's not right. Just like have First clue. I can't put my finger on it, but something is not right here. Picard orders a full diagnostic. I feel that something is not right. <laughs> right? That's the thing. That's the thing about Deanna's job that I respect so heavily that we could never have in the year 2024, right? Where she's like, I feel like something's off. And now you would just get dismissed. <laughs> Relying on your feelings. So Picard orders a full diagnostic, uh, which of course reveals no issues. Diana suggests a psychiatric evaluation. Uh -huh. um, the test 
after the test, Deanna reports to Picard that Data has a split personality disorder. Uh, he has two personalities, a dominant and a recessive, and the dominant personality is unstable. Brilliant, but vain and prone to irrationality. The dominant hates any authority figure, including Picard. I feel like I'm just reading off a list of my own personality traits. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the dominant personality is growing and will soon gobble up the recessive, the Data that they all know. Um, oh, knows. Oh, noes. How are they going to get out of this one? Meanwhile, Data admits to Kareen that it is indeed Ira inside of it's Data's me. body. It's me. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. <laughs> You'd be amazed what I can do in this thing. <laughs> he has switched off Data and downloaded himself into Data's body. Kareen tells Ira that she doesn't love him. Uh, Data was gripping Kareen's hand and squeezes it very tightly and hurts her. Mm -hmm. Um Meanwhile, Picard has figured it out that Ira has downloaded himself into Data's body. Uh, Picard confronts Ira and tells him how he has fractured Kareen's hand and will hurt more people, and he hurt even more people in engineering. Uh, Picard convinces Ira that he does not have the right to kill Data and occupy his body. He also tells D Ira that in Data's body, sooner or later, he will end up killing more people. Um, Ira is finally convinced after he hits an injured Picard, the greatest act of stage combat probably ever from sir patrick stewart because <laughs> because data punches i can't remember if he punches or he slaps him but picard does like a full 360 and throws himself against the wall to the ground again very classic original series stuff i love to see it acting <laughs> Ira leaves Data's body. Um, Kareen discovers that Ira is in the ship's computer where there is knowledge but no consciousness. I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, what could uh, go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Oh, the Enterprise D goes around hitting on young women, that's all. <laughs> the Enterprise goes around killing more engineers? Uh this is the only Next Generation episode where a multi-person landing party is not made up of at least one member that is 100% human. This landing party yeah. consisted of Data, Troy, Selar, and Worf. So oh. no humans at hey. all in a landing party. About time. And the DE, DEI bill. Yeah. <laughs> I was just trying to find ways to connect to <laughs> <for> <laughs> politics. To Good for you. <laughs> Well done. Uh, it's going to be a long year, you guys. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> moving on to the next horrific episode, Unnatural Selection. Enhanced DNA developments trigger an epidemic of rapid aging caught among its victims, Dr. Pulaski. <laughs> and uh, uh, this... Uh, some really good interactions between Picard and Pulaski here. That I, there's one in particular I really love that I'll bring up when it comes around. Um, Picard is preparing to write Pulaski's evaluation as chief medical officer of the Enterprise. He believes that she is very dedicated to her profession, but her her passion could potentially interfere with her judgment during critical situations. Um, interesting. I don't believe we've seen that really happen before i mean we've only had her around for like what six episodes no, but yeah. i don't think there's mm -hmm. bit i think in every instance we've seen her she's been very cool calm and collected even in the face of as as the season goes struggle. on she'll start to get uh, more vocal and about almost, things, yeah yeah almost insurrectiony <laughs> oh, okay yeah okay well i mean uh, i mean let's be said though bones though did the same thing Oh, I mean, yeah. Bones was like, yeah, we're not doing this. So, I mean, it, so it's a little in that vein. She's less, she's, mm, I was just trying to think, is she less or more so than Beverly? Because Beverly stood her ground, even in the first mm -hmm. season, a few times, just like, that's that's not going to happen, or I'm not going to yeah. do that. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, it's kind of like, Pulaski was put in an interesting position of, you're replacing a character that we've already had a year to get used to, mm -hmm. and now she's just gone. And you're the you know the new kid on the block, and mm -hmm. we're not sure how we feel about you. You've already tried to, you've already shown that you're, you know, not Data's best friend. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it, it been not elementary dear Data, and we're still trying to get a feel for you. So it was interesting watching Picard go to, to Troy and go, you spent more time with her. Well, yeah, she's the first person I told that I get I was pregnant, and she was helping me cope with things as a doctor. So yeah, mm -hmm. I spent some time with her, and it's like. Yeah. It just seems like Picard wasn't trying to, um, was is not as chummy with her as he seems to be with the rest of the, the bridge crew. 
because they're coming well, up all I the mean, time, just like, hey, I got to move my console here. Yeah, and, I mean, and uh, I'm here now. I mean, Picard, I, he either has by now or will this season refer to Pulaski as that woman, you know. Yeah. You have to wonder, I, I don't want yeah. to assume Picard is this way, but I kind of wonder if this is very much in the same vein of thinking of like, well, we can't have a female president. She'll just set off the nukes with her next period. <laughs> you know, like, is this the same kind of attitude? <laughs> Probably no. not. Probably no. not. Um, but, you know, I'm not on the Starship Enterprise. I don't know what, what the rest of his interactions have been with with her. Um so he's working on her evaluation. The Enterprise is on its way to Star Station India and receives a distress signal from the USS Lantry, a Federation supply ship. Uh, they arrive to find everyone on board dead of what appears to be old age. There is no damage to the ship and all systems seems functional. Everything looks normal. Um, the Enterprise had to take remote control of the ship to activate their viewing screen to find out why no one was responding to their hails. They all died of natural causes. Old age. Um, so Picard thinks that's weird and activates a quarantine warning on the land tree <laughs> uh, every member of the every member of the land tree crew <laughs> um just gonna real quick pose a quick quarantine on this um you know what's weird though is that ever since covid and now i'm re-watching star trek my whole why don't you just quarantine that instinct goes off people's rights people's rights carry you know they're <laughs> They're so quick to just go down on planets and beam back up. I know there's a filter in the in the transporter, but still, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are they bringing back? We don't get space germs. Yeah. Um, everybody oh, a plague on ship. the land tree. <laughs> plague ship. Plague ship full of rats. Everybody on the land tree had a physical about eight weeks ago, and they were all found to be in perfect physical health. And the first officer was treated for Thalusian flu five days ago. Um. They proceed to the Lantry's last port of call from three days ago, the Darwin Genetic Research Facility on Gagarin 4. Sometimes I look at all these words and I'm like, am I having a stroke trying to <laughs> read all these space words? Imagine being, the, imagine being the actors that have to remember them. <laughs> the Darwin Genetic Research Facility, um, everybody who works there is also suffering from rapid aging. Dr. Sarah Kingsley has already declared a medical emergency and she thinks that the Darwin facility was infected by the Landry and says that they have no research in this area of disease propagation. Sarah argues that the children being bred on the Darwin station uh, need to be evacuated as soon as possible. And the children represent the years of work at Darwin that have been kept in protective isolation. And they are showing no symptoms of the disease, save the children. Uh, Pulaski wants to bring one of the children on board for examination, but Deanna says that Sarah's not telling the full truth. Oh, what a power. God, what a power to have. <laughs> <laughs> Picard finally agrees to beam one kid over under a protective force field. Uh, so Picard and Dr. Pulaski clash when she brings aboard one of the children from the station. Um, Picard is very adamant that he cannot expose the crew to this. And Sarah is pushing Pulaski to beam up all of the kids. And uh pulaski proposes taking the boy to a shuttlecraft outside of the enterprise to study him in greater detail to rule out the threat of infection See, that's some covid thinking there your own little isolated <laughs> yes tent uh <laughs> pulaski insists that she will meet all of picard's safety conditions and takes on the risk of infection herself and picard approves to complete her examination pulaski takes the boy aboard the shuttlecraft to isolate him from the enterprise data was piloting the shuttlecraft Totally fine. Man's an android. Of course. Um, and the boy was 12, but he looks <gasps> like a mature it? man. <laughs> so this boy is only 12 years old, but he looks he looks like a man. And Deanna can sense that he is telepathic. The future of mankind. What the people on this um, Darwin Genetic Research Facility have been working on. See, this bothered me. Because... Yeah. Does it bother you because of what we know? Yes, because, and because of the okay. because of the whole con thing as well. You know, going back to what we did know. I mean, the genetics was outlawed because of con, mm -hmm. and then there's the things that are going to happen in the future uh, in this show that we can't talk about yet because Rebecca mm -hmm. hasn't seen them. Yeah, no <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we're not we're not going to spoil anything, but I'm just like I'm watching it going. Don't we have some rules against what you're doing here? Exactly. Didn't we cover this already? 
and everybody just seems to have either forgotten or is okay yeah, with this stuff. Kind of interesting that they didn't even bring it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. That. So well, that I mean, whole... to be fair, it hadn't been created yet in our timeline. It hasn't been created uh, yet. Yeah, I guess. Outside That's of the true. con That's true. That's true. Well, well, with the con thing. Yeah, what year Can was this episode? This was in 1988. Oh, well, see, Khan was uh, in, the, in the 80s. 80, 82. But yeah. they never said that, did they say in Space Seed or in uh, Wrath of Khan that they had outlawed genetic yeah. Um, yeah. manipulation? Yeah, that was that was talked about. That was one of the reasons that, okay. uh, that Khan was on the ship was, you know, because genetic, uh, all that stuff was outlawed. And I think by the time this episode was aired, it was it was canon. So that this is what I'm trying to figure out. I don't know. Anyway, this is this is good example of show bible. Show bible should be required for for all shows, but to this day, we're still that's still something well, that we're and, not. And and you need a Star Trek nerd in the writers' room who can say mm-hmm. this may not be in the Bible, but. Excuse me. You know, you need it him to be, be. To, to be there kind of, to say, excuse me. You it know. makes you think, like, what if Gene was around for this, right? Because Gene is no longer around for this. Um, so I wonder if he had been there, if he could have said, hey, mm, this is actually, um, actually not a thing within <laughs> this universe. Anyway. So who knows? But it's also during this argument between Picard and Dr. Pulaski where she was interrupting him with every sentence and even i on my couch at home and i'm like damn lady let him finish a sentence (laughs) and picard leaves the room with this banger of a line doctor god knows i i'm not one to discourage input but i would appreciate it if you'd let me finish my sentences once in a while Ah. boom doors whoosh close (laughs) (laughs) mic drop of a line uh, but Pulaski gets hers. She gets she catches the COVID and shows symptoms of rapid aging. She seems doomed to die of old age, but Picard might have a solution. Um, the children are carriers of this disease, uh, and Pulaski transports the child back to Darwin. Transporter Chief Miles O'Brien suggests that he can use the last known trace of the transport to beam the back the person into their trace instead of materializing into their current body. So this is this is a wee bit of a deep dive into how the transporter works right how it Mm -hmm. has a cop it has a copy of how you left and they use that copy to bring you to reassemble you yeah uh so he can beam the person back into their trace instead of materializing their current air quotes body um since the traces the original body was uninfected this is a way to ensure that data and pulaski are not infected as they are beamed back to the enterprise but (laughs) Like many doctors in Starfleet, the Enterprise doesn't have Pulaski's trace file as she has never used the transporter. Something about these doctors know not to trust <laughs> the transporter. They know they know what happens. They know how it works and they're they like They know I'm, it flies in the face of God. I'm not so... playing. <laughs> she definitely went to the Dr. McCoy school. Absolutely. <laughs> There's one professor at Starfleet Academy who teaches medical classes who was like, don't you ever dare get in the transporter. It will kill you. This is not going to be on the test, but I'm here to tell you. Starfleet doesn't want me to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you this. Do you realize how fucked up that is? Oh, man. (laughs) So... Pulaski and Data go down to Darwin Station, where we learn that the kids are genetically engineered with an aggressive immune system. Again, Carrie, I can't, I can't, I can't believe I didn't think of this. How are we genetically engineering these people exactly. when this is outlawed? I was uh, yelling "con" at the screen the whole time. I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and somebody else's character name, but that's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> One of the crew of the Lantry was carrying the the Thalusian flu when he visited Darwin, and upon analysis, they figured that the Thalusian flu triggered the antibody response, and the antibodies generated resulted in a side effect that altered the genetic makeup of humans. The process is irreversible. The children will survive, but everyone else on Darwin Station will die. 
Data beams back to the Enterprise. Yeah. Uh, since Picard doesn't have Pulaski's trace on file, he uses her original DNA to create a new trace at a molecular level. What What is it? They go to her room and find like a hairbrush. They find a something? hairbrush. Yeah. The classic, classic DNA grab with a follicle. Hairbrush. There's a follicle on this one. Yes. Get 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 it to the lab. Get it. Get it O'Brien quickly. Yes. They initiate the transport. It works. They try the same thing on the rest of the Darwin crew, and the Enterprise returns to destroy the land tree. Chief um, O'Brien, an absolute magician with the transporter. Just a wizard yes. with the transporter. Mm -hmm. Um But there's a couple uh, things he... about this episode also. Yeah. Outside of O'Brien, which is great to see O'Brien, because isn't this like the first time we see him really doing something? Yeah. You know, let me tell you, Chief O'Brien was a last minute addition to the teleplay. Originally, the story featured a young engineering genius named Rena, whose beauty caused male colleagues to repeatedly experience Pratt Falls, which led to a romantic <laughs> subplot with Jordi LaForge. Ma <laughs> Maurice <laughs> Hurley found the character obnoxious and deleted her when he rewrote the teleplay, replacing her with Calm Meanies, until then, nameless character who was finally named and his personality expanded upon. Yes. And he starts to get lines as the as the season goes along, and you know, you, you, he he gets even some funny lines. <laughs> yes, but also we also get um, there's a question of like how did how did Pulaski wind up on the Enterprise out of the entire uh, fleet of ships in Starfleet to become chief medical officer of the flagship of the, of the Federation, and we find out oh she's pretty well known in medical circles because the doctor on Darwin is like VK Pulaski who wrote this thing and Polanski's like yeah that was a long time ago yeah, I don't talk life. about that and Picard's <laughs> like what the what <laughs> dog you're famous it's like Rob now's a perfect time for me to tell you about the one time I was at a Halloween party talking to some people and I told them my name and one of my other friends was like oh yeah she's on geek show and the person i was talking to said oh you're that rebecca frost and i immediately <laughs> turned into a corner and was like please god <laughs> so i know exactly what dr Catherine pulaski was feeling in that moment but it was no. interesting because we we got we had nothing else on her before mm -hmm. hearing that somebody off off the ship knows who she is yeah. So it's like, okay, she's got some credentials because this doctor is like, I'm a little starstruck, really, when she found out it was that Catherine Pulaski. And, and what I like about that is it's just little nibbles of here's who this person is. As you go, as the, yeah. you know, as the season series goes along, it's little nibbles. Here you go. This is what she's all about. But here's my next question. Yeah. Not to be that guy, but I will mm -hmm. be that guy. If we can, if we can save our, you know, this is what, they were before we beamed them down and they beam down to a planet and they break their leg. We always beam them to, to the med bay sick to bay. get fixed to sick bay, to get the huh. broken leg fixed. Why can't we just beam them up and use the old and fix their leg and doctors you know, don't aren't necessary. Carrie, I, wow, I think I have like an answer for that. A, it sounds like you're asking a lot of questions. See, I'm being yes, that guy. Robert. I, I, have an answer <laughs> for that. I can count on Robert. <laughs> <laughs> The body is not there. There's a fraction or a break in a bone, but okay. all the parts are still where they were when they left. There's been nothing new introduced to the system, not a virus, not a whatever. So it, you may have not brought it back in the right condition, but you didn't change mm -hmm. externally. You didn't add an external influence into the body. I'm not saying it there, works. There wasn't science. an addition. There wasn't an addition of like a bacteria or a virus. Correct. Or a virus. Okay. Right. So there, there's nothing to filter you know, out. Science. All of the parts that you left with come back. Yeah. Just uh, not in the right shape. I don't know. We can, we, we can make an old lady young again. Well, reasonably. Oh, they, had, they had to find a hairbrush for her. I mean, come on. You have to mention yeah, if you go through that entire ship to find hairbrushes for every red shirt. Come on. Or, or I'm sorry. That's true. A gold shirt. That's what I'm saying. Mm. Yeah, anyway, no, I'm sorry. If you buy the premise, you buy the bit. All it also right. took more um, than 20 takes. It... Oh, go on. No, no, I was just going to say, I also liked it when uh, they beam the 12-year-old the kid up and this 24-year-old guy shows up. We're just like, beam it back. Just immediately, his immediate thing. Just like, no, get rid of it. No, no, no. It's, it was like, it's a trick. Beam it back. And it's just like, quick response there, Worf, but maybe slow your roll a little. Yeah. 
Uh, it also took more than 20 takes for Jonathan Frakes to correctly order Worf to initiate the quarantine transmitters on the land tree and activate her marker beacons. After several failures, he alternated between swearing and laughing each time he botched a line. To quote Harrison Ford, you can write that dialogue, George, but you can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I had an issue reading the synopsis. I can't even imagine just yep. being on the show. Uh, the next episode, Riker heavy and not Worf heavy, a matter of honor. When an officer's uh, under an officer's exchange program, Riker serves aboard a Klingon ship whose aging captain seeks an unwarranted bloody retaliation for suspected enterprise treachery. Uh, this uh, is kind of a fun exchange student scenario uh so the federation promotes an officer exchange program and commander Riker decides to accept an assignment aboard a klingon warship there's a whole scene between Riker and picard in the holodeck doing some kind of fun video game training where <laughs> sometimes when i watch shows and movies i think about being there in person as this thing is being filmed and just picard standing there like this <laughs> with his arms out <laughs> delivering some pretty heavy dialogue like uh, I was in I the royal shakespeare that. company damn it <laughs> and now i'm <laughs> now i'm pretending to shoot lasers out of my hand uh so riker talks to Worf about you know serving on a klingon warship and Worf tells riker that he's spent a lot of time studying his history because great lesson i cannot wait to learn more about you know Worf and the concept of nature versus nurture when it comes mm -hmm. to klingon culture oh yeah um you know, Worf tells Riker that the duties of a first officer in a Klingon ship is to assassinate the captain when he or she grows weak or unable to perform. The second officer will assassinate the first officer for the same reasons. Um, and Worf gives Riker an omnidirectional emergency beacon just in case. Has yes. uh, <laughs> the first Federation officer to survey board a Klingon vessel, Pa, Riker has to gain the trust of his new shipmates and particularly that of his irascible captain, Cargan. Uh, Riker takes an oath to follow Cargan's order while he serves on the paw. Clog, Clag, the second officer, does not trust Riker at all. And Riker beats up Clag when he challenges Riker's authority in front of everyone. Mm -hmm. And Clag has to agree to take orders from Riker. Um, and that's when Clag starts liking Riker. That's the beginning yeah. of a good friendship there. Um, Riker, he, he's so brave right uh this episode really for me shows me that Riker is down to try anything and not only is he down to try anything he's down to try it happily like the man oh, yeah. doesn't doesn't have like an ounce of fear in him that I can see right like oh, this is only season two Riker for me so I don't know what's to come but this this episode really made me go damn Riker he's he's down to clown he's game for like <laughs> anything um as part of this exchange program, the Enterprise welcomes aboard Ensign Menden from the planet Benzar. It is a culture that is forever seeking to improve operational efficiency. Menden discovers a bacterium attacking the integrity of the Paw ship's hull, um, and he searches for his own solution rather than reporting it. Um, also, Wesley, classic racist move. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he greets Ensign Menden as his old friend from when he was trying to get into the academy. And this Ensign yes. has to go, no. It's not you. That's not me. <laughs> oh, not so me. all us Benzites look the same, right? Is that what you're yeah. saying? Mm -hmm. yeah. Also, happy uh, birthday, uh, uh, everybody. Uh, <laughs> the mom's calling. <laughs> um, eventually uh, this same bacteria that he has discovered Worf discovers on the Enterprise and Data figures that this bacteria doubles in size every 15 minutes Menden admits that he found the bacteria on the Klingon ship but didn't report it as he is still analyzing it uh, meanwhile Vemka, a female on the path declares her intention to have Riker uh, <laughs> they're having this conversation over dinner where Riker again I was like wow man so brave he's eating Klingon food happily right and fitting in with the boys and um 
she threatens to have him in a biblical fashion and you can see the look on Riker's face where he go you know the in Futurama where they're on the planet of the Amazonians yes and yes. they're about and they're about to be whatever I can't remember what the phrase is but the looks on their faces as they're like held hostage is like smiling and then horror and then smiling and then back to horror <laughs> Yeah, I kind of got the feeling that that was going to be a non-consensual relationship for Riker. I mean, I, I don't, don't know. Or was it? I don't know. It's Riker. <laughs> I mean, it's Riker. It is Riker. He will, he's, he's the Kirk of this show. He'll fuck anything. He'll, he's, yeah. You can see it in his his wheels are turning about. How am I? He will. He will. He will do anything. And then he gets upset when Deanna does. That's what bothers me the most yes. about Riker. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so welcome. Welcome to the world of double standards, yeah, you guys. Exactly. I'm glad to have you here. Finally. Clag shares with Riker that his father was captured by Romulans and not allowed to die, which if you are wizened in Klingon culture, not great because the Klingon's purpose is to die with honor. Mm -hmm. Uh, He eventually escaped and now lives on the Klingon home planet awaiting a natural death, which is probably even worse than being held hostage by Romulans. Um, Clag is bitter about this, as you can imagine. Um, Back on the Enterprise, Data and Menden figure that the bacteria can eat through certain compounds on the hull, and by this time, Paw would have a 12-centimeter hole in it. Picard changes course to find the Paw and warn them. Uh, when the bacteria is affecting the Klingon ship, Cargan believes the Enterprise is responsible and orders an attack on the Enterprise. The Paw has eight hours before it loses hull integrity, and Riker is not able to explain to the t- is not able to explain the two minute scan on the Enterprise did on the specific section of the Paw, which is now infected with bacteria at their last encounter, and he can't argue against Cargan because yeah. he is serving under Cargan, and there is a hierarchy of command. Clag convinces Cargan that Riker would not have come on board the Poth, knowing that the Enterprise is going to attack it. But Cargan is enraged when he finds the Enterprise is on an intercept course with them. Cargan wants Riker to reveal the weak spots of the Enterprise, but Riker <laughs> refuses to break his oath to the Enterprise, Enterprise forever, and says he will die with a pot <laughs> with Cargan's crew instead. Um, Menden completes his analysis and tells Picard that the bacteria can be removed with a neutrino beam lasers and uh picard hails the paw trying to relay this message but cargan has cloaked his ship and refuses to believe riker that the enterprise is there to help riker initiates the emergency beam that Worf gave him and hands it over to cargan Worf identifies the signal beams over the person on those coordinates and Mm -hmm. turns out to be cargan whoopsie doodles uh and then uh since cargan is gone riker first officer assumes command of the paw delivers this great line that did things to me where he sits in the chair and says i'm your captain now and i on my couch i'm like "Uh oh (laughs) 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 a little much uh riker calls off the attack and decloaks the enterprise returns cargan and repairs the paw cargan slaps riker sends him back to the enterprise riker returns to the enterprise with a great story um (laughs) (laughs) i personally just love episodes focused on riker but that's my own personal bias (laughs) (laughs) um some bits of trivia brian thompson was hired for his role then let go without notice before it was filmed uh when he sought out a reason why he was told that he was too large to fit into the costume christopher lloyd had worn for star trek 3 the search for spock he quickly volunteered to make any necessary alterations himself no. and he was the one who played um clag he he cool. wanted the part that badly wow good for him yeah, yeah. all right um Wesley mistakes Ensign Menden for Mordok, the Benzite that he met during season one. Yeah. Um, but both are played by the same actor, John Pooch. So he's not no, totally off base. Not totally off base. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, oh, Wesley. Um, <laughs> next up. But this shows you also that, that Riker, but hang on, but this also shows that Riker is that guy that's like, he, he's looking for the next great bar story or the next great 10 forward story. Because he's like, yeah. so did I tell you about that time that I served on a Klingon ship, his first officer? And he swings his leg over the chair and like, let me tell you. <laughs> That's we. There was a, a Twitter thread that I was reading where people were talking about their favorite Riker and lower decks riker came up so much yes and i think that's because lower decks mm-hmm. riker is so intense and i think he's kind of like 
a great representation of what Jonathan Frakes really wanted Riker to be, right? Just this like intense gung ho, down to clown for anything type well, of guy. I mean, that's that's the way Roddenberry explained the character to him. He says, "You're you're essentially your mm-hmm. Captain Kirk on this show. You're mm-hmm. you are that character. You know, just think about that. That's how you play it." And so that's that's how Frakes approached it. That's probably why I love him so much. Uh, but another data-heavy episode, The Measure of a Man. A courtroom yes. episode, yes. you guys! A yes. court- Rebecca loves her courtroom episodes. <laughs> it's Ellie Law in space. Yes. <laughs> when Data resigns his commission rather than be dismantled for examination by an inadequately skilled scientist, a formal hearing is convened to determine whether Data is considered property without rights or a sentient being. Um, you guys know my stance on robots wanting to be humans, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but let's hear it. Let's hear it. I we we know, but <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> You're not programmed for it. You don't have the capacity to understand human feelings. Uh, and humans are the worst. And just, humans are the worst. Yes. So, okay. Our friends are playing poker and Data's trying to learn how to play poker and is learning to understand that there are intricacies of poker. It's so much more than the mathematical, you know, card counting, uh, like probabilities and statistics. Um, Riker teaches him all about the poker face and bluffing, right? And, um, Lady Gaga was right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, Picard runs into an old friend, Captain Philippa Louvois, uh, who established a new JAG office at the base. And I know JAG is like a real term. <laughs> yes, Robert. You have... <laughs> so many things in this episode. They will start here. <laughs> okay. So I haven't watched this episode probably since it aired 11 million years ago uh-huh, and, she, uh-huh. and she comes up yeah i started i opened a new jag office and i'm like i literally spent five minutes pouring through websites going is starfleet a military organization just to prove no they're not so they shouldn't have a jag office they should have an advocate's office sure mm-hmm. but it shouldn't be a jag office because jag what today i learned you know uh JAG was set up by George Washington originally for military military tribunals. So like Ooh. it has a history in the military, and Starfleet swears whenever they go somewhere, we're not a military organization. We are here for exploring and defense and to help, you know, keep people safe, but we're not a military organization. And you know, I'm just like, nope, nope, nope. So that she said that it was kind of like <sighs> okay, fine. She can be a jag. See, that's the thing, though, is that Starfleet may say they're not a military organization, but their their roots are definitely in it. I mean, you know, everything about the way they operate is military. I mean... Well, they've also changed. Okay, so, Rebecca, plug your ears for a second. We know for a fact from other shows slash movies that the uh crap which group security group used to be is used to be a more military organization the makos and we've seen that in enterprise before they were like they were not really gonna do the whole military thing and in uh kelvin universe star trek beyond where um idris elba's ship had a group of Makos, and they're like, "Yeah, we're we're gonna supposed to be peacemakers or peacekeepers now, or just peaceful now." That's what it was. We can't mm-hmm. do that. That's not what that's not what we're wired for. Hmm. Thanks, Rebecca. Well, they, they, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So philosophically, they're not a military, but I mean, yes, the way they operate, they, the, the nuts and bolts alone, of structure. That's yeah. the word I'm looking yeah. for. The structure is definitely military because there is and a, a lot chain of people of think command. that had to do with Roddenberry. There's, yeah, and his he, um, his military a, service pilot. Yeah, yeah. So they're thinking that he set it up that way because it was a known or a known structure for him. But he's like, but we don't want them to be um, the Klingons, for lack of a better way of putting it. You yeah. know, just just okay. aggression all the time. So one of the pieces of trivia I have for this episode, kind of semi talks about this gene roddenberry disliked the premise of this episode arguing that there would be no lawyers in the 24th century sorry mike 
writer Melinda M. Snodgrass convinced him Hold that it. even if there were no crime, people would still have to settle civil disputes, negotiate contracts, etc. Yes. Roddenberry and... relented and the production of the episode went forward. And you had <laughs> jury trial lawyer episodes in the original series. Don't you forget yeah, how many times that happened? <laughs> it, was, it was 78 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Captain Philippa once prosecuted Picard unsuccessfully. Um, so there's a bit of a, an admiration for each other on both sides. Um, she led court-martial proceedings against Picard after he lost the Stargazer ship, and Picard says that she enjoyed back. the adversarial process. <laughs> get the truth. You got it back. I don't know why you guys are so mad. <laughs> Mom! <laughs> Problems arise, however, when Admiral Nakamura orders Picard to help Commander Bruce Maddox to disassemble data to determine how he functions. Maddox was a member of the admission committee of Starfleet Academy who evaluated dat data when he applied for the admission. Um, Maddox was also the only committee member who opposed data's admission on account that he's not a sentient being. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maddox admits that he has not solved the puzzle of the positronic brain yet, which is the first step in creating an android. He wants to take data apart, study his positronic brain with the aim to create a replica of the same. He does not have convincing answers to the problems he might encounter in his experiments. So data expresses <laughs> doubts about Maddox's likelihood of success, and yeah. he refuses to undergo the procedure. You, you don't want your doctor saying, ah, we'll figure it out. You, you just, <laughs> these are not words that you want. I just said. know I could fix it if I could just get in there. <laughs> if I could just look. Can I just <laughs> take it apart? I'll, I'll get it. <laughs> Honestly, that's how I approach a lot of stuff, though. Like, I know I could fix it if I could just get my hands on it, you know? <laughs> I'm a very tactile learner. Um, so Maddox, chess player, anticipated this and has orders ready to transfer data under his command at Starbase 173. Picard speaks to data in private and asks him to consider the possibility that Maddox might succeed and spawn an entire race of cybernetic beings. Data brings up mm, just the best point that Geordi's prosthetic eyes are far superior to human eyes, yet human officers are not required to get those implants. And Picard says, hmm, yeah, 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 <laughs> I guess, yeah. yeah. And I guess this just shows that his rights are limited precisely because he is just not a human. Uh, so Picard goes to Captain Philippa. I know that's not her name. I'm going to keep calling her that uh, for help. <laughs> no, it is. And she had. Oh, <laughs> she... Yeah, but Philippa is so much more fun to say. Not uh... arguing. <laughs> Picard goes to Philippa for help, and she advises Picard that Data should resign his commission. Data resigns and starts packing his bags because yep. he likes to have stuff. What kind of android <laughs> likes to have stuff? Um, Maddox is bitter over this, and they we don't, don't judge Judy, go to court over Data's resignation. Uh, Data soon finds himself at the center of a judicial inquiry to determine if he is just a machine and a piece of property or a sentient being who has the right to make his own decisions. Um, Maddox argues that the computer of the Enterprise would not be allowed to refuse a refit, and so why should Data be allowed to refuse? this but the computer of the enterprise didn't voluntarily join starfleet ah oh, you should be in the courtroom carrie i should have been <laughs> <laughs> so philippa's initial research of the law supports maddox and picard decides to challenge her ruling and he ha and she now has to organize a whole hearing um she finds herself sitting in judgment with Captain Picard defending Data's claim against Commander Riker, who now Commander Riker is forced to present opposing arguments. And Riker is like, I don't want to do that. He is my friend. And Philip is like, okay, Too bad. And I do have it. no choice. If you don't do this, I have no choice but to send him away. And so Riker is like, fine, I'll do it, but I'm not happy about it. And, he, and she even says, if I even catch a hint that you're going easy. Uh, mm -hmm. you're in the brig, you know. You're done. We're done yeah. here. She um, calls Data a toaster and uh, <laughs> is Hush. happy to hand him over to Maddox. And I'm like, I don't, do we still have toasters in whatever year this is? Some technology her father, is... 
perfect, you know. <laughs> Her great great grandfather was an antiques collector, and they had this thing that's been passed down through the family for generations. It sits on her shelf next to her medals and awards Brett, and pictures of her old crews. <laughs> <laughs> Riker starts his arguments by stating that Data is an android made by a human. He has abilities that no human possesses, and he also turns off Data in front of the court. Because he spends some time doing his research, he pulls up all of yeah. all of the the schematics related to data, and therefore he knows how to turn him off. Did, did you see the look in his face when he saw that though? Because he finds he the, like, he's doing that one look, and he's like, yeah. "Ooh, oh. oh!" He was so sad about it. It's like, "Oh, this yeah. this but is good." The look oh. in his face, like I found something new. Oh, uh, uh, oh, uh, mm. oh, that's cool. <laughs> oh, that's shitty. Oh, <laughs> um, Picard devastated by yeah. Riker's arguments, right? Because yeah. he Riker crushing it. His probably oh, yeah. second choice school was law school, right? But he made it into Starfleet. <laughs> so Picard, devastated, goes to 10 Forward to meet our friend Whoopi Goldberg to provide some wisdom. And everybody knows your name. She mm -hmm. helps Picard realize that if you remove choice, data is a slave. And Picard goes, Ooh. Preach it, sister. Okay. Preach. <laughs> She's like, not today, uh, colonizer. <laughs> Again, today's February 1st. Happy Black History Month, everybody. Thank you very much. Okay. Preach it, Diana. <laughs> Picard goes back to court and proves that Data is sentient. Data admits he was intimate with Tasha, to which everybody's reaction in the room is like i'm sorry <clears throat> what <laughs> she did what with a toaster <laughs> uh he has sentiments and memories and he feels emotions he is intelligent and self-aware and conscious and thousands of data's will be a race picard makes this fantastic argument of like is not our purpose to seek out new life in the universe here it is mm -hmm. let's explore this right and i was like oh tear tear falling down my cheek that was just such a killer <laughs> argument picard um and if if you know cybernetics do not have a choice they will essentially be slaves and so philippa has no choice truly to be like okay you have the right to choose my friend and mr Riker. i would have given you this case if it wasn't february 1st i would have uh... well and that's that's the thing too Riker. later when he's talking to data he's like he's not sorry that he had to argue against data right he's like i i he admits i i almost won that i was this close to winning that you're <laughs> lucky my friend and it's just it's cute it, it's again love it's one of it's considered one of the, like the best episodes of star trek right because it you know considers you know it has one of those philosophic angles right about what makes a human a human well it, um, yes and it, Whoopi goldberg's yeah. speech picard's closing speech they're just so well rikers even. written rikers even yeah mm -hmm. written and performed so it's yeah. just terrific yeah um but we also get more nuggets of... like like carrie was saying like we get picard uh picard and philippa had a relationship before she court-martialed him and she's like mm -hmm. yeah you it makes my you know something like it makes the universe right to know that you're out there that you're still being a pompous ass but you damn mm -hmm. you're still sexy i'm just kind of like mm -hmm. and you see picard almost blush a little bit he and does just like, like oh and then, when he, and then you know at the end of it he's like dinner and she's like are you buying <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, I'm she buying. She says like, you right. buying in a post-capitalist society where money. <laughs> it's definitely more of a colloquialism than anything yeah, that exactly. I understand. But, but still, come on. <laughs> Picard's got a dinner date. He's got some short leave coming. Does, just saying. Does this gonna... does does this space restaurant take Discovery card? I... <laughs> take her to the holodeck to that Parisian cafe where oh. he ghosts where he ghosts all of his ex-lovers yes. um, one other piece of trivia uh, author Melinda M. Snodgrass originally intended Data to swim in the opening scene to illustrate that theory and practice are quite different and that Data has difficulty processing this the producers found it difficult to find a public swimming pool that they could use on their budget and also had no time in their shooting schedule to find a way to maintain Data's makeup when swimming so she was fine to find it. She was asked to find a different activity for the opening, coming up with the iconic poker game. Mm -hmm. cool. and, and we got O'Brien in the poker game. 
We did. Yes. Which was great. And uh, we won't see data in the water until, like, I think, Insurrection, right? Uh, I think you are correct. Because he, mm. he, he, <laughs> he doesn't even swim. <laughs> He's, he just walks on the bottom of the lake, and then suddenly when he needs to come up, he just kind of inflates himself somehow. <laughs> and it, and it come, pops up like a buoy, you know. <laughs> Um, the last episode, I'm going to just kind of, I guess, mention the Dauphine. Uh, yeah. I, one, I'm never going to know how to pronounce that word correctly. Uh, Wesley falls for the young future leader of Doll Ed 4, unaware of just how dangerous the girl's protective and overly restrictive guardian can be. Um, Not on my watch. Literally, there's nothing I want to say about this episode because all it is, Wesley meets teenage girl his own age, mm-hmm. a wooga. She turns out to be not what she appears to be, and her, the the her companion protector appears to be a, sh- a short, stout little woman transforms into like a Bigfoot type creature, right? Um, and she's very protective of Salia is her name, and it's just a classic story of boy meets girl. Girl can't necessarily participate in everyday activities because she's special mm-hmm. wesley breaks rules takes her to the holodeck shows her the universe has his first kiss will wheaton's first on-screen kiss mm-hmm. um this episode is just wesley learning how to talk to yeah. girls and i don't care for it okay it's it's, it's not memorable <laughs> it's uh, yeah it's i don't it's i it's it's there and i'm sorry if this is one of your favorite episodes i'm not gonna talk about it because uh uh, one i'm trying to keep these episodes under an hour and two (laughs) (laughs) this this is just wesley being wesley and whatever there's one standout moment from this episode and it's when wesley goes to 10 forward for wisdom of course he's talking to Riker of all people about how to talk to girls oh this is a good scene yeah and Riker, Guinan, can I get your help with something? She sits down and they have the hottest exchange possible. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's incredibly hot. I mean, and, and I couldn't tell. This is how good they are. I couldn't tell whether they were just playing along right? or maybe there was something there, you know. The- the vibe I got was that Guinan loves to yes and, and she was having the time of her life doing this with Riker. You may be right. I yes, yeah. I, I'll bet that I'll yeah. bet Guinan is one of those that she like Riker plays along. Yes. Oh God, oh, yeah. to be friends, to be friends. It's get you guys some friends who will yes and every bit that you try to do (laughs) it's truly it's one of the best gifts you can give yourself but uh and there's a moment where wesley tries to interrupt and guinan is like shut up (laughs) shut up this is good (laughs) this is happening right now (laughs) so if anything just look up that clip (laughs) yeah that's all you need with this episode is that maybe i'll drop i'll maybe i'll drop it in at the end of this episode because it's truly so far one of my favorite moments in next gen it's just like bing bong bing bong every line is such a banger and i'm like i cannot believe this is happening in front of my eyes right now mm-hmm. um <laughs> but, just think uh, for 19 you know 1988 or 89 eyes just like this is on tv mm-hmm. <laughs> we're not paying for this nicely yeah it's, it's always how what the what it's always how are you and never i dream of a galaxy where your eyes are the stars and the universe worships the night come on men get it together <laughs> hey men why can't you flirt like this <laughs> god yeah just mm, that's all that's all no, that was uh, well, that, i love that scene because guinan was giving it as good as she was getting it mm-hmm. you know that just, just terrific kiss i'll I'll drop in the clip after this episode because it is absolute perfection um but that's that's six through ten season two of uh the next generation next week we are going to talk about contagion the royale oh my god the royale is one of my favorite episodes uh times squared the icarus factor and pen pals um but uh you know until then any any other opinions things to say about these episodes that we have talked about today uh about the ones that we've talked about today no but you said the icarus factor and here's here is a uh a, a, a lee george cadeism <laughs> 
he created the title of that episode before that episode ever aired. Because we had a running gag about the titles of Star Trek episodes. And he always says, whenever I can't remember, and we were talking about the classic series, whenever I can't remember the name of an episode, I just say The Icarus Factor. It was yeah, called The Icarus that is Factor. Absolutely <laughs> an original series episode title. What was um, that episode? The Icarus Factor. That's what it was. But <laughs> even better, you guys, it's about Riker's estranged papa. Mm -hmm. So we get Papa Riker, we get Daddy Issues Riker. Ooh, <laughs> that's coming anyway. up. <laughs> I, uh, my thoughts on season two so far is like, I think they figured out the show, you know, <laughs> I think they finally <laughs> figured it out. Yeah. It's, they still uh, don't have I'm quite excited. the budget they're looking for though. That's true. No. Um, I'm excited to get to the nineties. I know right now we're in 1988, but I'm excited to get into the nineties to see what kind of, um, set dressing because i'm a sucker for like set dressing and costumes and seeing how things evolve through time right it's like friends is such an awesome example of this because you follow mm -hmm. it from the early 90s into the early 2000s and watching you know how culture shifts through fashion and set dressing i think that's so fascinating so really excited to keep going have you not seen season three star trek no Next gen? No, I'm mm, I've okay. only I've only gotten nope. I think after um I think once we finish next week's episode with pen pals, I think that's where I left off with my oh. next gen watch. Okay. So oh. after that it's all brand okay. new to me. So I'm slightly ahead of you then. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So um Good. until then, we will just keep going where no man's gone before, but a lot of men have gone before. Thanks everybody. <laughs>